This is a reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, and tells us about Mary's encounter with Jesus. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and she, and she wept. She stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And they had, he had said these things to her. And that's the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Carol. And uh, if you missed me at the beginning, my name's Duncan. So good to be with you this morning. And uh, so great to see so many of you on the live chat saying, uh, hello, happy Easter. Just extend my happy Easter to you um, this morning. Uh, so great. So, some saying that they're particularly enjoying the worship, particularly enjoying Rob's voice this morning. So I can only vouch for that from the live from the venue here this morning as well. Um, the end of 2020, this was the cover of Time magazine. If you can't see it, it is the, simply the word or the number 2020 with a big red cross through it with the headline underneath, which you might not be able to make out, saying, the worst year ever, which is perhaps erring a little bit onto the overdramatic, but it's, I think it probably tells us a lot that I don't think any of us would see that magazine cover and think, what, hang on a second, whoa, whoa, whoa. What, what was so bad about 2020? I think it's hard to argue that it wasn't a really hard year for all of us. That for every single person that is tuned in this morning and watching along, this was almost for every single bit of our life, got worse in 2020. Work got harder, family life got more strained. We made plans, they were cancelled. We made plans again, and they got cancelled. We were forced to put up with seeing loved ones on Zoom, or perhaps even worse, seeing unloved ones on Zoom. And all of the big moments of our year were, well, they were prefixed by that joyless word, weren't they? We didn't have and haven't had birthday parties. We've had Zoom birthday parties. Zoom graduations, and perhaps the most heartbreaking of all, Zoom weddings. And I think at this point, every person that I seem to talk to has lost somebody, whether that is someone that's actually quite distant to them, but their life has still been touched by it, or of course, I'm sure, some tuning in this morning, and you have been touched by it in a really close-up way, and it has affected you in a big way. 
We, we don't like to dwell on it too long, we don't like to think about it, but whether it's, it's lost lives, whether it's lost connections, lost jobs, some are even predicting for some of the younger generations, lost futures because of this pandemic. 2020 and now into 21 has been pretty painful for all of us. But today is Easter Sunday, and for the next 20 minutes or so, I want to share a message on how Easter Sunday speaks into and speaks to those who have experienced loss. And how all of the pain and the sorrow that all of us have become acquainted with over the last year and a bit, 13 months or so, can be turned in just one moment into fullness of joy. And this is not just a, a sentimental, vague thing that you might see on a Clinton's card, but this is a personal, real encounter that each of us can have comes into our sorrow and our pain and turns it into real joy that can never be taken away. The first Easter Sunday, the morning of that first Easter Sunday, was marked by grief and loss. You heard Carol's reading just there, and the first line of that was the picture of a broken woman. Mary stood outside, stood weeping outside the tomb. And this is grief that Mary Magdalene had been carrying for three days now. As she had seen the tortured body of her friend, Jesus, hanging on the cross. That instrument of Roman execution designed for maximum pain, but also maximum humiliation and human degradation. She had watched for hours and hours on end as the, the battered body the battered torso of Jesus strained for gasping at breath. She had hoped against hope that something, someone would intervene and that this wouldn't go in the direction that it's looking to go, but the previously unthinkable happened. She was there to witness his very last breath. She was there to witness the giving up of his spirit. And for that moment, for Mary, it wasn't just that she lost a dear close friend. But in that moment, Mary lost the very thing, the very person that the entirety of her life was centered around. You see, actually, when we look in the Bible, we don't really see actually that much detail about Mary Magdalene and who she was and, and what her backstory was and the kind of person that she was. But the things that we are told, the little bits that we're given of her, paint a picture of this woman who was one of the most devoted and loyal followers of Jesus. Her whole life had been utterly and completely transformed by being with him and meeting him. There's a, a moment late, earlier on that talks of her ha being set free from seven demons, which talks of a total and complete spiritual transformation that she had been through, that she had, had not, she'd been walking this way and going in a very di different direction in her life. She met Jesus, had this one encounter with him, and her whole life then became completely different. Whole life then just became devoted to following Jesus, being with him, listening to his teaching, watching him heal people, do the miraculous, watching how he is with people, and centering her whole life around trying to be like him. And then all of a sudden, it's taken away. In just the blink of an eye, he's, he's arrested, he's tried, he's sentenced, and there he is, hanging on a cross, buried in a tomb. And her whole world just collapses. 
And it's the grief and the anguish of a collapsed world that is very much front and centre in that passage that Carol just read out. Just in, in the first few sentences in there, we read four times that Mary was weeping. And this Greek word, one definition that I saw is that this is expressing uncontainable grief. It's not just that she was sad. She had lost everything. Easter Sunday is for people who feel like their world has just collapsed. Even if it's just a little bit. It's for those who feel like actually the last 13 months of my life have broken me. Again, even if just in small ways. Mary here weeps and feels hopeless and directionless and absolutely terrified. And let me tell you, there have been many times over the course of this pandemic that I have felt all of those things, often all at once. There was a moment right at the beginning of the pandemic where, um, do you remember the, the toilet paper hoarding time? Of course you remember the toilet paper hoarding times. We'll never forget the toilet paper hoarding times. Maybe you're still hoarding toilet paper. I remember as the shelves in the supermarket were emptying, realizing and fearing, going up to my room in my study where I pray and praying for the very first time in my life, God, I do not know if I am going to be able to put enough food on the table. I don't know if I'm going to be able to feed my family. I don't know if we're going to have enough nappies in the house. Now, if you have no experience of looking after young children who need nappies, the prospect of no nappies in the house is one that will make you tremble. I had never questioned these things and whether they'd be possible, and yet now I was. It was totally disorienting. That if you have felt like the rug in your life has been pulled from under your feet, if you feel disoriented by the direction that your life is going in or should be going in, you're starting to question, can I trust anything? Can I, can I rely on anything? or anyone, if the last year or so has drawn you even just a little bit closer to feelings like that and thoughts like that, it might just be that you have been drawn more into the story of Easter. It may not be a coincidence that you're watching today, that you got that link sent over by a friend and normally you think, ah, I'd just normally ignore that and do something else. But actually, if I'm going to click it and you, you're here this morning. Or you just stumbled across us on Facebook and just something compelled you. I'll click on that, I'll check it out, and here you are. Maybe it's not a coincidence. Maybe you had been drawn into this story. As Mary looks into the empty tomb, she sees two angels. And yet her reaction, or her lack of reaction, suggests to us that she just thought they were two people. Because she doesn't really pay much attention to them in any particular way at all, but all of her attention then immediately turns to the one who's directly behind her. Verse 14 in the passage that Carol read. She turned around and saw Jesus, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And here we are drawn into one of the most stunning beautiful and scarcely believable moments in the whole of human history. 
just a small encounter, a, a simple encounter, two people in a garden. It looks in many ways totally unremarkable, probably like some garden encounters that you've had over the last week or so, perhaps with people. Not much to it, but yet it is absolutely bursting with dramatic tension and cosmological significance. As Mary sobs towards the one that is before her, as she starts to express her heart-wrenching grief to this man that is in front of her, this one that she mistakes to be a gardener, we read in the passage. She's desperately asking him, where is Jesus' corpse? What has happened to this body? As she weeps uncontrollably through her words, totally unknown to her, the very one that she's speaking to is the one that she is grieving over. That as she asks this man, where is the body? The body is right before her eyes. Upright, breathing, moving, looking at her, speaking to her, probably smiling at her. This same one, this same man that she had seen brutally murdered. She'd seen him hanging on a cross. She'd witnessed every moment. She saw his last breath. She saw the spear that pierced his side. They saw, she saw them pulling his lifeless corpse off the cross. They saw him, she saw him wrapped in the burial clothes. She saw him laid in the tomb. She saw the stone rolled in front. She saw it all. And now this same man stood right in front of her. And she has no idea. Until he speaks just one word. One word, and she weeps no more. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. And she hears her name, and immediately she knows this is no gardener right in front of her. This is someone, this voice that she hears is one that has spoken her name countless times over the years that they've spent together. This is the a voice of one who knows her. This is her master. This is her Lord. This is her, as she says, Rabboni, her teacher. A word all at once loaded with recognition and respect and deep affection. She is overjoyed and overwhelmed with delight. And so she grabs him. She grabs maybe his feet or she embraces him in her ecstasy. We don't really know what it looked like. But just this one word, just this one word from Jesus' mouth. And the tables are turned on Mary in the most glorious way. As it begins to dawn on her who this is in front of her why the tomb is empty, that all of the pain and the sorrow and the grief is in one moment swallowed up in joy and delight. Just one word, her own name. And we see here how intensely personal this meeting for Mary was. As Jesus walked out of the grave, he had a whole world to save. He had 
a creation to redeem and an entire universe to restore. If you were Jesus, what would you expect him to do? What would you do if you were in that position? You'd think, surely, to, to get the ball rolling on all of these things, surely, Jesus, you do something big. I mean, there, there is an opportunity in front of you here. Literally hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem at that time would have seen him hanging on the cross. The, the crucifixion was designed so that maximum exposure would happen. People would see him. There was two and a half million people in Jerusalem at this point in the calendar. They would have, most of them would have seen, or at the very least, it was the talk of the town. They would have heard, Jesus has died. You think there is a huge opportunity here, Jesus, to show that you are not indeed dead, but you have risen. You think at the very least, drum up a big crowd, get yourself on the tallest mountain, get yourself the loudest megaphone or whatever the first century Near East equivalent of a megaphone was at that point. And maybe even do something huge, do something unforgettable, do something miraculous. I don't know, make Jerusalem float up in the air or something. Do something that's going to be talked about for years to come. And what is number one on Jesus' agenda? Just a, a one-to-one meeting. Jesus' priority is not drawing as big a crowd as you possibly can. It's not about putting on a show. Jesus' priority is relationship. It's friendship. Coming to someone who he loves and he knows. This is the lowest key thing that Jesus could possibly have done. It's a chat in a garden with a friend. It is a very COVID-compliant divine encounter. He comes just to Mary, that she might see for herself, that Mary might believe, that she would see undeniably, irrefutably, unbelievably, Jesus is alive. He, Jesus, comes to her in her moment of deepest despair comes to her so that her weeping might come to an end and that she personally would experience fullness of joy. This is the message of Easter. Jesus is alive. And it's not just a phrase that Christians get excited about at this time of year. What this means is that Jesus is alive today. And just as he does here, it's so that each of us might see him, each of us might believe that the living Jesus comes to us in our very real pain and loss and fears, particularly at this time, for a personal one-to-one meeting with us. So that Our weeping, our weeping might come to an end and that we might have it replaced by fullness of joy. If there is one thing that I want you to know about the risen Jesus Christ today is that this is exactly who he is. He is a bringer of joy. When he is around, 
he brings the happiness, he brings the joy. This sorrow turning into joy is exactly what he had promised to his closest followers. In John chapter 16, he had, had promised this very thing, that his, his resurrection would bring this about. He was talking about his death that he predicted to his closest followers um, in, in a room. And he says this to them. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep. There's that word again. You will weep and lament. You will be sorrowful. But your sorrow will turn into joy. And then a few sentences later, he says, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy away. What's going on here is that before Jesus died, he promised to his disciples, I am going to be taken away from you. I am going to be killed. And he promised them for a short time, you will know weeping and pain and unbearable loss. But he said to them, he promised that he would be back. He promised that he would return and that when he returned, their sorrow would be turned into joy. All of these things he promised and every single one of them he fulfilled. So that when we read that there is a promise here that through the return of Jesus and through the resurrection of Jesus, there is, he can bring us a joy that can never be taken away. We should take his word seriously. This is joy that Jesus is talking about that will survive any job loss. Joy that will keep going even through multiple missed mortgage payments. This is a joy that will endure even at the most sudden of family tragedies. Simply put, this joy that Jesus is talking about cannot be shaken by any events of this world. This is a joy that breaks even the power of the grave and lasts through to eternal life. And because Jesus, our great joy bringer, is alive, he comes to our sorrows and our pain, the very real sorrows and pain we face every day. So he can come into our fears and our pains now, today. He can come into our sorrows of 2020. He can come into the things from our deepest, darkest past and restore them and turn it into pure joy in him. It looks like in our nation that we are beginning just ever so slowly edging towards something resembling normality where mercifully Zoom weddings will just be weddings again and we will be able to be friends with people even if they have a terrible internet connection. But as we go back to something looking like normal life, let me ask you this question, just as I start to bring things to a close. How do you feel about having vulnerable joy? Joy that can be fleeting. Joy that can just be taken away 
in a moment, to, to perhaps go into a life where we live with this constant memory of 2020 in the back of our mind and so constantly living with a, a background anxiety and a, and a background fear that maybe something like 2020 could happen all over again and our joy is just snatched from us. How do we feel about that? Because only Jesus, who is risen and alive, can give us a joy that can never be taken away. And while we can't physically grab hold of Jesus, just like Mary does in the the passage we looked at, we can still encounter him in a way that is just as real, and in fact, in many ways, actually a lot deeper through the pages of his Bible and through the presence of the Holy Spirit working within us. And if you have never encountered, experienced, and met this joy that Jesus brings. You don't know him for yourself. And you would just, you want to know more. You're maybe even ready to accept the invitation. We would love to help you this morning. In just a moment, um, I'm going to make a, an opportunity for you to pray a short prayer um, and, and we'll, you can respond in that way. And we've also got a, a response form um, that we'd love for you to fill in as well. I think the link for that will just be appearing in the chat now. You can click on it now or I'll mention it again in a little bit. Just a, a great, we would love to be able to keep up a conversation with you. We'd love to help get to know you a little bit more, find out exactly where you're at. And we've also got some great resources um, to, to, to help you learn a bit more and to, to know a little bit more of where to go next. I'll lead you through that in a moment, but the last 13 months have wounded us all. I think all of us can relate to the pain and the loss of Mary Magdalene in the garden here. But this is Easter Sunday. Her weeping did not last, and neither does ours have to. Today we can celebrate, even in the midst of pain and difficulty, that Jesus is alive and because he lives because our savior is risen and we can see him our great joy bringer is with us and in our midst and in our presence and in him even our deepest sorrows can be turned to fullness of joy a joy that can never be taken away from us And so we're going to sing one final song in just a moment of celebration and of joy of the risen Christ. And then in a moment, I'll be back to give an opportunity for us to respond and invite you into this joy that can never be shaken, whatever events we go through. Let's sing one final song.